Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. And it is a great Monday right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Got a great show today as Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle. He does Mariners pre and post game shows as well as some radio shows as well. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. So that is going to be a whole boatload of fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Vegas betting board as we touch a ball. But first, you guys sent me in some Twitter questions, so I'm going to give you guys some answers. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Got this one in from my buddy Dylan Johnson. You can follow him on Twitter at DylanJ925 at GNUnderscore81. Hey, Greg. I don't do it, but I heard other people doing it. Have you ever taken a look at a plus 200 dog, and then when the other team gets to plus 200 live, taking it and be guaranteed money, or do you just let it ride and never hedge? This is something where I do know quite a few people that do it. I don't do it personally, because if I were to ever live bet for one, it'd be very difficult to try to get those plays out to you guys, because I always try to do everything I can to be able to give you guys a position to where you're able to get the same stuff that I am, everything like that. Obviously, it's not always possible, but I always try to give you guys a chance to be able to bet the numbers that I do. And with live betting, there's so many variables that go into it, because... 
I could tweet out a play like, oh, right now the Twins are plus 150 as an underdog live in-game, and then one pitch can instantly change it, and then there are just some books that don't offer live betting and everything like that, so obviously that's a little bit of it, but the bigger reason is because I have so much action on betting every side, every total on the MLB betting board is that whenever I live bet, I feel like you need to be really focused in on that game and that game only. When you have your attention split between like four or five games, it makes it volatile because you just can't keep tabs on that one game the whole time. I'm usually one of those people I like watching the MLB Network's whip around coverage. You're able to go from game to game to game. You're seeing all the at-bats and everything like that, but you're not seeing who's warming up in the bullpen. You're not seeing some of the trips to the mound and everything like that, and that's big because with live betting, sometimes the biggest thing is identifying a pitching change like for example, for 9-0 Rodney coming in for the Oakland A's. We're going to be getting into that in a couple minutes, but that's a reason why I don't really live bet. But I know that some people do, and if you're able to be able to middle and be able to guarantee yourself a profit, good on you. It's just one of those things I like to ride out my bets personally, just with my style. I got this one in from a gentleman by the name of Scott Wasserman. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott underscore Wasserman. That is spelled W-A-S-S-E-R-M-A-N. First name. S-C-O-T-T. At G-Unit underscore 81, what's your strategy for weather? In parentheses, do you monitor it and factor it in? It looks like it will rain in Baltimore all day, so they may not get the game in. And he was referring to the Rays versus the Orioles game, which obviously they did not. And it is something that you factor in. You have to factor it in whenever there's a total at Wrigley Field because Wrigley Field totals are not up until the morning for that reason. You guys have noticed this on the podcast. I'm never able to give you guys an overnight line on a Wrigley Field total. It's all dependent on the wind and everything like that. But it is something that you do look at. Does like rain cause the wind to be blowing out? Does it cause it to be blowing in? And this is going to affect fielding a little bit more. Like in the Rays versus the Orioles game, I actually did downgrade the Orioles a little bit more because they're not a very good fielding team and the Tampa Bay Rays do a much better job of being able to make the routine plays and not commit errors. So that is something that I do factor in. I thought it would be one where it would be a little bit tougher for teams to be able to hit home runs because typically in the rain, it's a little bit colder than you get a nice summer day, things like that. The wind is whipping in in that circumstance typically as well. And it sometimes does make it a little bit tougher for the hitters to have vision and it makes it tougher for the pitchers to be able to get a good grip on the ball as well whenever you get a little bit of moisture out there on the field. So it definitely is something that you have to factor in and you have to take a look at a variety of different things. And there are just some teams that perform better in the elements than others. That's something that you keep good tabs on. You really don't get a good feel of it at this time of the year at this point just because we haven't had too many of those games that have been affected by inclement weather. But once you get to the middle months and you've been able to see these teams in a few circumstances where the conditions are not ideal, it is a good way to be able to help out your handicapping. So very good question there. Got this one in from a gentleman by the name of Robert Salemo. He is on Twitter at Salemo Robert at GNR Square 81. I've noticed that you bet just about all of games with a total of 10.5 and 11 under and totals of 6.5 and 7 over. Is this a strategy of yours or just a coincidence? In my opinion, it's a little bit of both. For one, it's really hard to have a baseball game and have neither team really get to four runs. When you see those totals that are so low, it's just one of those ordeals where unless if you really love the pitching matchup, 
you do have to take a look at it over, in my opinion, just especially with the way that bullpens are in this day and age. And with the very high totals, it is also very difficult to just have pitchers be that bad where they give up so many runs and not get pulled from a game because in this day and age, once again with baseball, you're going to get pulled if you just continue to give up walk after walk after walk. Now it's not saying that the other guy is not going to come in and give up walk after walk after walk like we saw with the Chicago White Sox. We're going to be getting to them in a couple minutes, but it is one of those things where on the extreme totals, I typically like to go under whenever you see a double-digit amount on the total, and I do usually play those smaller totals over. It's just one of those things where it's like, how is it that neither team's going to be able to not exceed three runs, and how is it that both these teams are going to get to five if it's a close game? So that is certainly something that I do look at. And here actually might be the best question I feel like I've gotten on this podcast. This is a good one from a gentleman with a fantastic name, Francis Bacon, on Twitter, at Baconator underscore FTS at June underscore 81. If we aren't able to lock in all these plays until tomorrow when it's closer to the start of a game, and he refers to all the plays I post on Twitter and everything like that, would you recommend trying to prioritize locking in as many sides as possible before totals? Seems like sides tend to move a lot more than totals do. And I say absolutely because with totals, it's very easy to be able to find maybe a half a run higher or lower at different juice. You have many more different options when it comes to total. When it comes to sides, you're usually pretty set on whether you're going to be betting on like the Houston Astros or the LA Angels from yesterday. It's just an all, all a matter of the number. And with totals, you typically don't see much more juice being laid than minus 130, and you don't see much more of a plus price than plus 110. Meanwhile, with sides, you can very easily see a team that opens up as like a minus 130 favorite close as like a minus 170 favorite or even bigger. Some of these teams that open up as a $2 favorite, sometimes they close as a $2.50 favorite. That is a difference of 50 cents for every dollar that you're laying on that game. Now, I obviously don't encourage you guys to lay $2.50 or anything like that, but I think that you guys get the point that these totals move a lot less than the sides. Obviously, you want to be able to get that extra half run and everything like that, but even if you miss out on 8.5, you're probably still going to be able to get a decent juice on 9 if you're looking to play it over, or a decent 8 if you're looking to play it under, something like that. So, always try to lock in those sides a little bit more than the totals just because with totals, it feels like you have a little bit more forgiveness if you don't get that ideal number. So great questions there, guys. Now let's take a look back at yesterday's action and try to find some bettable trends. What trends should you pay attention to? Well, Greg is going to tell you what he has on the black. How about the way that the day ended as the Chicago Cubs take down the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 13 to 5? Jose Quintana continues to be a good bet on pitcher. He winds up going six innings. Wasn't necessarily the world's greatest outing, but it wasn't terrible either. He gives up eight hits, two runs, both of which were earned. Tyler Chatwood winds up not having a necessarily ideal ninth inning as he gives up two dingers to the St. Louis Cardinals. Marcel Ozuna, his 11th of the year, and Paul DeYoung is sixth, but Adam Wainwright got shelled. Five innings, gives up five runs. And then Dominique Leon out there in the bullpen for the St. Louis Cardinals. Gives up a six spot in the eighth inning for those of us that had the under. Dominic Leon, we don't like you. Anthony Rizzo had another good game in this one. He really appears to be getting back on track. He had a two RBI double. He's now hitting 241. Wilson Contreras, his ninth home run of the year. And Chris Bryant, his fourth thinger of the year as he was able to pound out two hits. Chicago Cubs really on a tear. They have won 18 out of their last 24 games, if I'm looking at that correctly. This team has been white hot. Teams that were... 
playing a whole lot of unders going into their series. Have played three overs so far as the San Francisco Giants knock off the Cincinnati Reds by a count of 6-5. Reds get off to a 4-0 lead as they wind up hitting three home runs on three consecutive Jeff Samarja pitches. Dan Diedrich, his ninth home run of the year. Eugenio Suarez, his ninth home run of the year. Jesse Winkler, his ninth of the year. And then later on in the game, Kyle Farmer hit his fifth home run of the year in the ninth inning. But Luis Castillo wound up getting shelled in this one. Seven innings pitch, gives up four runs, all of which were by far his worst start of the year. For the San Francisco Giants, it was Buster Posey providing some power. He had his second home run of the year with two men on. And then Brandon Crawford wound up having the backbreaker against Brasiel Iglesias, who blew the save. That is his ninth of the dinger of the year. If you had the Cincinnati Reds, you've got to be feeling really salty. You had a 4-0 lead going into the top of the sixth inning. And then the Cincinnati Reds bullpen, which was one of the best in the big leagues, winds up gas canning it. And the San Francisco Giants bullpen, they give up just one run in four innings. Difference in the game right there. Just absolutely huge that the Giants were able to get those runs. I don't foresee it being a trend, but it certainly was unexpected. Something else that was unexpected was the Detroit Tigers being able to get a three-run homer in the end of the game to be able to knock off the Kansas City Royals by a count of 5-2. to two. A good start from Brad Keller in this one as he winds up going 5.1 innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And then from there, the Kansas City Royals bullpen actually looked pretty decent. That is until Ian Kennedy came into the game. Ian Kennedy had been great out of the bullpen for the Royals so far this year. And they even got his squirrel sending out a Brad Boxberger, for goodness sakes. But he winds up giving up that home run in the 10th inning that gives the Detroit Tigers a win. That was supplied by Brandon Dixon. His first home run of the campaign is a three-run dinger. Spencer Turnbull is another guy that you've got to be betting on. Seven innings pitch, gives up one run, six hits, 2-3-1 now ZRA. Jose Jimenez wound up having a little bit of a blown hold, I guess you could say. He had one inning pitch, he gave up a run, 473 RA. But from there, the Detroit Tigers were able to get some good bullpen pitching from guys like Shane Green and Farmer and Company, so... Obviously an encouraging sign for the Detroit Tigers who are 15 and 16 and have been making you money if you bet on them every time this year. The Seattle Mariners just absolutely unloaded on the Cleveland Indians. 10 to nothing the total in this one. The Cleveland Indians bats only two hits in this one as Eric Swanson, a guy that I was putting on the fade list, looked impressive. Six innings pitch. He gave up three walks but only one hit. And then from there, three scoreless innings from the Seattle Mariners bullpen. That was something that I don't think anyone saw coming, but we do know that the Seattle Mariners do have a lot of power. Three dingers on this day. Jay Bruce, a grand slam. He now has 11 dingers on the year, 22 RBI. Edwin Encarnacion, his 10th home run, and Mitch Haniger, his 8th. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Indians, Cody Anderson made his first start of the year after making three long relief appearances earlier this year. And it didn't go as planned. He didn't make it out of the first inning, giving up four runs, including that grand salami to Mr. Jay Bruce. He now has an 11-1-2 ERA. Things got so bad that Kevin Ploiecki wound up pitching an inning. He didn't give up a run in six pitches. He wound up getting out of the inning in those six pitches. So you got to give him a lot of credit there, but this was just a bad day. Dan Otero gives up three runs. Olsen gives up two. So all in all, an awful day for the Indians. They just couldn't get anything right. The Atlanta Braves once again cover a run line as they take down the Miami Marlins by a count of three to one in extra innings. They were a little bit lucky in this one as they weren't generating a lot of offense and just continue to be a team that plays a bunch of unders. With the Miami Marlins, they actually got a very good start out of our man Pablo Lopez, who went six innings, gave up three hits, just one walk. Very good start there. But then the bullpen blew it for them. Taylor Guerrero gives up those two runs in the 10th inning. 
Drew Steckenrider winds up giving up a run out of the bullpen as well. He now is a 6.75 ERA. Andrew Connolly, they brought in 6.94 ERA. Sergio Romo, ERA above 5.5 as well. So not a lot going well there for the bats or the arms of the Miami Marlins. Julio Tehran also had by far his best start of the year. Six innings pitch. He gives up two hits. The bullpen of the Atlanta Braves actually looked pretty impressive. Josh Shomlin winds up giving up a run in the late going, but all in all, the Atlanta Braves bullpen, four innings pitch, they give up one run. Very good showing there as Nick Barcaskis was also able to hit a home run. That was his third of the campaign. That came in the seventh inning. So all in all, the Braves are looking very strong. The bullpen seems to be improving. Teams that need a little bit of bullpen improvement. How about the Oakland A's as they lose the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of five to three? The A's bats still not really getting going. They were able to get a RBI out of Kendry's Morales, which is good to see because he's now hitting above the Mendoza line. And Frankie Montas continues to be a great pitcher for this team. Six innings pitch, gave up one run, but it was all on Fernando Rodney. The team had six scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Then in the bottom of the 13th, Fernando Rodney comes in and he pours lighter fluid on the game. If you have Fernando Rodney coming into the game and you have a ticket on the Oakland A's, you should just consider it lost. He winds up giving up four runs in a tenth of an inning. Sterling Marte, it's the game-winning three-run home run, his fourth of the year. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Jordan Lyles had a good start in this one, 6.2 innings. He gives up one run. 2-2-0 is his ERA. And then the man that got the win really didn't deserve the win because Tyler Lyons now has an ERA of nine. He gives up two runs and two innings of relief. But lo and behold, the Pittsburgh Pirates get a win. It seems like their offense is improving a little bit. They're 16 and 15. They've gotten great pitching, but the bats have not really been there. But when you get Fernando Rodney in there, I guess anyone can hit. The Philadelphia Phillies were able to get another big win over the Washington Nationals by a count of 7-1. The Nationals are just so badly banged up. They're right now without guys like Juan Soto, Ryan Zimmerman, Anthony Rendon. The list goes on and on. Alnibal Sanchez, not really a guy that you could trust, but this loss was not on him. He winds up taking it to go to 0-5, but he gives up two runs in 4.2 innings, none of which were earned because there were a pair of errors out there by the Washington Nationals. From there, uh, the bullpen of the Washington Nationals once again reared its ugly head, giving up five runs in this one was Matt Grace. He has seen almost as many appearances as any reliever out there in the big leagues, and he's got a 675 ERA. Good news for the Nationals, Kurt Suzuki at his fifth home run of the year, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were just able to play a whole lot of small ball. Reese Hoskins out his 31 RBI, and Zach Eflin, a pitcher you've got to be backing. Seven innings pitch, gives up one run, and then De Los Santos comes out and gives two innings of relief for the Philadelphia Phillies as well. The White Sox are a team that you can't be betting at this point. The Boston Red Sox, they're actually looking a little bit better right now. They get a 9-2 win over the Chicago White Sox for the White Sox. They gave out way too many free passes. Dylan Covey wound up making the start. He actually wasn't as bad as I thought he was going to be. He winds up giving up two runs in 4.2 innings. But then from there, the bullpen that I had been noting on this podcast had been so much better for the White Sox. Imploded Kelvin Herrera gives up five runs in two-tenths of an inning as the team for the White Sox gave up nine walks. And for the Boston Red Sox, they were able to walk in a couple runs. And then the real backbreaker in the eighth inning was Xander Bogarts' grand slam, his sixth of the year. And Rick Porcello is coming on. He's trying to get off the fade list. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs. Now, a issue with that is that they were both solo shots. Ryan Cordell is third of the year and Jose Abreu is eighth. But all in all, things look to be trending upwards for the Boston Red Sox. They are now 17-18 and 18 
which a couple weeks ago looked almost unworkable. And the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox getting a little bit better. You saw Brandon Workman, Colton Brewer, and Marcus Walden all deliver scoreless innings for this team. So obviously a good sign there. While the White Sox, they're not having good signs. The Brewers pitching seems to be doing quite well. And the New York Mets have not broken three runs in this entire month so far as they fall to the Brewers by a count of 3-2. to two. Juan Lagares wound up hitting his second home run of the year, which was nice. And Jason Vargas, still not a good pitcher. Four innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. 50 pitches is all he went. 4-9-2 is now his ERA. I will say that for the Mets, their bullpen goes four innings. They don't give up a single run. Good sign there. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, they're not going to have the services on of Josh Hader most likely tomorrow as he strikes out the side in the ninth inning. That was obviously impressive, but Zach Davies has got to be a guy that you're betting on. 7.2 innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. 1-5-6 is now his ERA, and an even better sign for the Brewers. Christian Yelich returned to the lineup, and he had his 15th home run of the year. He now has 36 RBI, despite the fact that he's missed essentially a week this year. That is impressive. The Texas Rangers looked impressive against the Blue Jays once again on Sunday. They wind up getting a 10-2 win as Clay Buckles. Man, he is not the pitcher that he was last year with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He winds up giving up seven runs, all of which were earned in four innings of work, including two long balls, supplying the power for the Texas Rangers. Ezrubel Cabrera, his seventh home run of the year, and Rudnett Odor, his second. Rudnett Odor, by the way, still hitting a buck 41, but obviously a good sign. Drew Smiley continues to be a guy who can't back. He only won four innings in this one. Gave up one run. That's not bad. But that one run was a solo shot as the lone bright spot for the Toronto Blue Jays was Eric Sogard. He winds up hitting his fourth home run of the year. He's still hitting 375. Obviously a good sign there. And the bullpen of the Texas Rangers gives up one run in five innings. Very good sign there, considering that every one of the guys that entered from the bullpen for the Texas Rangers have a 435 ERA or greater. So, obviously, some good signs there. Oh, if you had teams out there in the NL West, it was a brutal day. The Arizona Diamondbacks going to the bottom of the eighth inning against the Colorado Rockies, up 7-4. They lose the game 8-7 as Archie Bradley gives up five runs, four of which were earned, without recording an out. That is a bad beat right there, kids, as the Arizona Diamondbacks got a good start from Zach Greinke. Three earned runs in six innings. Not necessarily great, but considering it was Coors Field, that wasn't too bad. And then for the Rockies, her mom Marquez got very badly touched up. Six innings, but she gives up five runs, all of which were earned. Oberg winds up giving up two runs in an inning of relief as well. As the Arizona Diamondbacks continue to be rolling with the bat, Eduardo Escobar, his seventh home run of the year, and Blake Swihart winds up hitting his first stinger as a Arizona Diamondback. But, man, Archie Bradley really blew this one. As for the Colorado Rockies, they didn't even have a home run in this one. The big hit in this one was Remiel Tapia's triple off of Archie Bradley. That was three RBI, and that really opened up the floodgates as the Rockies were able to get eight runs on 10 hits, five of which were in that eighth inning. Just absolutely brutal if you had the Arizona Diamondbacks. They continue to be able to score runs, but the bullpen proved itself to be very untrustworthy as Archie Bradley had actually been doing a very good job as a reliever this year before that game. There was absolutely no relief in the Astros versus Angels game. The Astros got down a little bit early, but then they were really able to pour it on 10-4 to the final in this one. The Astros, when they score, they score in bunches. And Michael Brantley and Carlos Correa both hit their seventh home run of the year. Alex Bregman is ninth. Justin Verlander continues to roll 6.1 innings. Gave up four runs, including three home runs. But the fact that a lot of them were solo shots helped him out. Jonathan Lucre had two of them, his third and fourth of the year. And Daniel Fletcher is second. But Matt Harvey, 
Got to be continuing to fade him. 4.2 innings, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned, one of those home runs. And then from there, the Angels bullpen, which has been pretty good so far this year, gives up five runs in 4.1 innings as well. So the Angels continue to be a very fade-worthy team. Their offense is looking a little bit better, but the pitching staff isn't necessarily getting the job done. If you had the run line or a total in this Twins versus Yankees game, it did not cash as... The game was called after eight innings. The Yankees were able to get a 4-1 to win in this one. For the Minnesota Twins, Michael Pineda continues to be Michael Pineda. you got to have him on your fade list. Five innings pitch gives up four runs, three of which were earned. His ERA now is 6.09. And for the New York Yankees, being able to get a home run off of them was Mark Talkman. That was his fourth home run of the year. And Domingo Herman continues to look like a good pitcher. 6-1 and one for the year for the Yankees. 6.2 innings gives up one run. The three walks a little bit of a concern, but 2-3-5 ERA. He has been terrific. And then from there, Tommy Canely, Adam Adovino, and Araldus Chapman all able to deliver some scoreless action out there from the bullpen as well. So the Yankees, no matter how badly they get banged up, they just continue to find ways to win. And it was just an interesting way for the San Diego Padres to be able to win in grand fashion with Hunter Renfro hitting a walk-off grand slam off of Kenley Jansen to be able to get an 8-5 win. Padres continue to cash tickets for you. 19 and 16. That was Renfro's seventh home run of the year. Famio Reyes had his ninth year of the year. The San Diego Padres pitching actually looked a little bit poor in this one. Robbie Erlin winds up giving up a two-run home run in this one that had the Padres, who were up 4-0, to zero, down 5-4 to four going into that ninth inning. Supplying what was at the time the go-ahead home run was Chris Taylor. That was his third of the campaign. And then you also saw Max Muncy go deep for his seventh of the year. Kenta Maeda not looking like a good pitcher at this point. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then Kenley Jansen. His ERA now a 467. He's not the closer that he once was. Ross Stripling and Pedro Baez appear to be doing a good job out of the bullpen. We know that Stripling gave up a couple runs a couple days ago, but all in all, things very interesting there. As the big takeaways I would say from Sunday's action is the fact that you cannot trust the A's bullpen. This was the second time in the last two Sundays that they gave up a lead in the bottom of extra innings, by the way. The Yankees just continue to get the job done. The Astros still continue to be feast for famine with the bats. The Mets are now ice cold. The Red Sox are starting to heat up, as are the Atlanta Braves doing a good job of being able to cover run lines. The Seattle Mariners continue to play overs, and you've got to take note of the Milwaukee Brewers, as it seems like their pitching is starting to get back online. Now that we were able to go through everything that happened on Sunday, let's get a little bit more of a look at the American League picture in general. And doing that with me next is going to be Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle. That is coming up right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azuni Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. Great pleasure to have on our next guest. He's joined me once before during the baseball season. He does tremendous work out there in the fine city of Seattle. Does some post-game work with the Seattle Mariners, radio show host and producer for 710 ESPN out there in Seattle. It is Curtis Rogers joining me. And Curtis, how are you doing today? Doing good, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on. Lots, lots to get to. Is you know the season is in a much different place than where it was last time we spoke. Yeah, we saw a very interesting Sunday out there in the big leagues, especially with AL West teams. I know you were doing the post game work for the Mariners yesterday, and they got a ten to zilch win over the Cleveland Indians. 
Eric Swanson, by far his best start for the Seattle Mariners. What did you see in the series from the Mariners? Because they hit four solo home runs on Saturday. They wind up not being able to pull off that game, but they just had everything working yesterday, including a Jay Bruce Grand Slam to start things off. Yeah, I think what we've seen from them over the last two games is the power bat is starting to come back. They had three home runs, uh, the Grand Slam from Bruce, solo shot from Mitch Haniger, two-run home run from Edwin Encarnacion. Like you mentioned yesterday, the four solo shots, that's how they made their hay in the first month of the season was through the long ball. You know, They're far and away the leaders in Major League Baseball in home runs, and I mean, they've earned that distinction for a reason. That's just how they do it. You know, top to bottom, guys getting that power bat going, which, you know, they had that six-game losing streak heading into the series finale against Cleveland. They weren't able to get the long ball going. They weren't able to get the bats going and work counts deep, you know, get lots of walks. And we saw in that very first inning, they had four walks in total. You know, they sent all nine guys to the plate. So giving pitchers headaches, that is how the Mariners' offense uh, is when it's at its best. And we've seen it at its best. We've also seen it at its worst going up against teams with really good pitching. You know, on Sunday, they definitely took it to Cleveland and made them have fits. Absolutely. And what do you think the key for the Mariners is? Because they just seem very feast or famine last week against the Texas Rangers. They weren't able to get much generated on offense versus Let's face it, a not-so-good pitching staff. They've had games where they've had two hits or fewer, I believe, two out of their last nine. This is just a team that it feels like when they go off, they go off for big numbers, but they can be shut down just as easily as well. Yeah, it it is very feast or famine, like you said. The ebbs and flows that we've seen from this team have made them so incredibly hard to predict. They went 13-2 and over their first 15 games, and they're 6-14 and 14 in their last 20 games. So it's so hard to tell which team is the real Mariners ball club. I'm beginning to think it's more like the team that has gone 6-14 and 14 over the last 20, although I don't think that is the pace in which they're going to play the rest of the season. I think we've seen the top-end offensive talent that they've got when they are on. That is an offense that can win in any situation. I think what it boils down to with the Mariners right now is just It's their defense, and it is their bullpen. The two things that didn't really factor in in the Mariners' hot start because they got out to such big leads that it didn't really matter that the bullpen was giving up two or three runs a night or that the defense was booting pretty routine plays. But right now, you've got Tim Beckham leading all of baseball in errors with 11 at shortstop. He has more errors than some teams do. Yeah. I mean, it has just been wild to watch him feel the ball you just kind of hold your breath every time it gets hit out his way and same goes when it's hit out Domingo Santana's way Malik Smith was such a butcher with the glove that they sent him to triple a Tacoma we saw the play against the San Diego Padres where he went to leap for a ball on the warning track it hit his glove and then went over the fence I mean that's just one of those comical errors that you know gets replayed on blooper reels for all eternity, but it's been a real issue for the Mariners' defense this season. Third base, you got Ryan Healy, who had not planned on being the third baseman this year until Kyle Seager got injured late in spring training. Edwin Encarnacion, not really a first baseman anymore, but has kind of had to play there just out of necessity. Jay Bruce having to play a lot when he's more of a DH as well. Daniel Vogelback, not really a first baseman. It's just, it's wild to see the Mariners' defense where it is. And then the bullpen, they still don't have a closer. 
They had planned on Hunter Strickland being the closer, but he's been out since about the season's first homestand, and they haven't really been able to replace him. They've gotten some interesting guys in that bullpen going this season, Connor Sadzik and then also Brandon Brennan, but they're still trying to put pieces together. They've acquired Mike Wright Jr. from the Orioles organization, who he pitched on Sunday, didn't allow a hit against Cleveland, and he's looked pretty good since coming over, but career as ERA is around six. You've got Austin Adams, who they acquired yesterday from the Nationals organization, who's pitched a little bit at the major league level. So it feels like the Mariners are just trying to put Band-Aids on these problems that I don't know if Band-Aids are, are the thing that's going to make them better. I think you got to look a, a little harder and, and maybe if they really want to go for it in the American League this season, I think they're actually going to have to go out and, you know, fix these problems with much bigger names than what they're trying to do right now. I would have to say so as we've got Curtis Rogers joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. You can follow him on Twitter at a kid from Kent. And we're noticing that the ALS is just so jumbled up and we saw just you were talking about bullpens earlier. How about the implosion from the Oakland A's on Sunday? I still remember about two weeks ago running a poll what one closer do you not want with a one-run lead on the mound if you've got a bet on that team? Number one was Fernando Rodney, and he showed his true colors in the 13th inning against the Pittsburgh Pirates as he gives up four runs while recording one out. I just don't know what to make out of the Oakland A's right now. This whole division is weird because we saw the Astros and the Angels play that double dip out there. In Monterey, Mexico, the Astros were able to take both those games. We've got the Oakland A's, who started out the year okay, but have really fallen on some tough times, too. What do you make of this whole division in general? Because it feels like the A's have really fallen on tough times, especially with their bullpen. Yeah, it's weird to see the A's where they are, especially considering they won 96 games with largely the same team they have right now. But last year's team was built mainly on their bullpen which last year was an incredible strength of theirs. But as we know in baseball, bullpens are incredibly volatile from year to year. If one guy has a good year one season, there is absolutely no guarantees that he can repeat that success in a following season. And I think the A's are figuring that out right now, Fernando Rodney, who was an incredible addition down the stretch for them, giving them one of the deepest bullpens we saw in the league a year ago. You had Rodney, Lou Trevino, getting the ball to Blake Trinan, but Blake Trinan, he's hurt right now. And when he is healthy, he's one of the best relievers in baseball, but that's not the case right now. So the A's really are finding themselves in a position where they haven't been in over the last couple of seasons. Like, oh man, where where are we going to find a guy to close out games and, and really hammer things down for us? They haven't been able to do so. You look at the rest of the American League West, you've got Texas who is actually hanging around. They're 16 and 16. And they don't have many names on that roster. They got a lot of guys who would have been great in about 2011, like Hunter Pence and his Drupal Cabrera and, and Lance Lynn and all these guys. Mike Miner. Yeah, Mike Miner as well, who struck out 13 Mariners last weekend. So, I mean, it's weird to see the Rangers of all teams still being competitive in the American League West. But if if I'm a bet man, I, I've got a, a lot of money on the Astros to run away with the American League West right now. Even though they are tied with the Mariners in the win column, they're a game and a half up on them. They've got the what 
third highest run differential in the American League right now, plus 40. And I mean, they just, they've got the deepest roster in the division. The Angels, uh, they're not a team that I would even keep track of this year because you just look at their roster. They, they don't have a pitching staff. They don't really have a bullpen. You can't win with that in, in this day and age. And outside of Mike Trout, where are you going to get runs on this offense? Uh, right now, it's the Astros division. The Mariners are just hanging on for dear life. But you look at the rest of the teams in the American League. I think last time we spoke, there was a much bigger difference between the Mariners and, and the rest of the American League in that kind of wild card standings. But right now, you've got the Yankees with 18 wins. The Twins surprising a lot of people right now, 20 and 11 with a plus 28 run differential. And then you got Cleveland with 18 wins. Boston, they're starting to figure it out a little bit more. They're just a game under 500. It's getting a little more crowded in that American League wildcard race and those second level teams. So right now I look at the Mariners as a team that's just kind of hanging on right now. We're in the season's second month. And I, I think around Memorial Day, is when you can really get a good gauge of what a team is because they've shown themselves for, you know, around Memorial Day, you're looking at about a 60 game marker. And, you know, there's 100 games remaining after that. But 60 games, I think you can get a really good story on, on who teams are. So right now, I think if the Mariners can make it to that marker as being, you know, an American League wildcard contender, I think then you, you can start to see a little more interest in them. But right now, I wouldn't wager them as the American League wild cards right now. It's going to be so interesting because, heck, the Detroit Tigers are one game below 500 after knocking out the Kansas City Royals on Sunday as we've got Curtis Rogers joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And like you said, it's just a hodgepodge of teams. I do feel like the Minnesota Twins might be the biggest surprise out there in baseball. They wind up not being able to fall off the win on Sunday against the Yankees, but on Saturday, they look quite good there. I feel like Sands Michael Pineda, who I've been calling Michael Pineda on this podcast, they've actually got a pretty good pitching staff. Their team in general is hitting very well with guys like Jorge Polanco above 300, Eddie Rosario, not hitting for average, but he's been hitting a bunch of home runs. And all in all, I do think that you've got a Minnesota Twins team that actually might be for real after coming up a little bit short in their couple years after making the one-game wild card. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I mean, Jonathan Scope was a very under-the-radar addition they had this offseason to play second base. He's hitting 282. Nelson Cruz coming in and being very familiar with how good he was in Seattle over the last four seasons. He seems to be doing exactly what he did in Seattle. He's got seven home runs this season. I mean, Eddie Rosario with 11 home runs, Max Kepler, CJ Crone, another under-the-radar addition after he went from Los Angeles to Tampa Bay, kind of bouncing around there. He's got six home runs on the season. So the Twins right now, and then also you got, uh, what is it, Tortuga, Williams Astudillo, who cannot strike out at all. He's the toughest guy to strike out in baseball. He's become kind of a cult hero in Minnesota. He's a fun player to watch. He's kind of the uh, he's kind of the offensive Bartolo Colon, where he definitely doesn't have the prettiest physique, but he's very productive in, in how he goes about his business. Twins right now, I look at the American League Central. I think their only competition is going to come from Cleveland, and Cleveland's got issues of their own, especially with Corey Kluber being out for at least a couple more weeks. Who knows how much longer that broken bone in his forearm is, is going to take to heal. But right now in that American League Central, I think it could very well be the Twins this season that pull away from everybody. 
I do agree with you there, and it's quite a surprise. And dare I say, they might actually have a chance to be able to win the AL Central because you got to see the Indians up close and in person the past few days. The Cleveland Indians don't necessarily look like themselves. I know that they were without guys like Jason Kipnis and Francisco Lindor at the beginning of the year, but this is a lineup that in general just is not getting the job done. No, it's not. And uh, you look at their lineup and Jose Ramirez, who was an MVP candidate a year ago, his bat has not been anywhere near what it was a year ago. You've also got Francisco Lindor, who's just now getting up to speed. And, you know, Leonis Martin is their leader in home runs right now. We're in May, and Leonis Martin has been a very light-hitting player his entire career. He's got five. And Francisco Lindor has only been back in the lineup for a couple of weeks. He's got four right now. So offensively, Cleveland has really, really struggled. That is the main focus of their issues because the pitching staff has been really good even without Corey Kluber in the rotation right now. Trevor Bauer has been great. Shane Bieber, very underrated pitcher. He made his debut a year ago. I think he's going to be a future all-star one day. He has tremendous command and really made Mariners batters look silly on Thursday night. The Indians right now, it's weird to see them struggle so much on offense when over the last couple of years, that was a big reason why they were so good. Carlos Santana, he's got five home runs right now hitting over 300, but you look at their leaders in batting average, Carlos Santana, he's the only regular hitting above, what, 240? Like Jake Bowers is second on the team with like a 237 batting average. Uh, you can't win in, in baseball when, when guys aren't getting hits. No, not at all. When you've got Jake Bowers, who I still remember when he was with the Tampa Bay Rays, whenever he would get a hit, they would play like that. 24 theme song or whatever the heck it was because they were referring to Jack Power with him. I still remember that. And he's like their second best hitter and he was below 200 for so much of the year. And taking a look at everything in general, as we've got Curtis Rogers joining me right here on the podcast, is there a team that you feel like is really starting to build something and is going to be a force after getting off to a slow start? Because right now I'm looking at the Red Sox. They were absolutely atrocious to begin the year, but I think that Going to Chicago and getting those two wins the past couple of days with just two explosions on Saturday and Sunday where they scored like seven plus runs in an inning. I think that's exactly what the defending champs need to get right. I agree. And you look at the schedule that lies ahead for the Red Sox. They've got three against Baltimore coming up on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I mean, Baltimore is without a doubt the worst team in the bigs. I mean, actually... Let me take that back. You got Miami and Baltimore running for that title. The Royals? Yeah, the Royals, they're there too. I mean, man, there really are a lot of bad teams out there. But you look at the Orioles coming up against the Red Sox this week. And then the Mariners, who, like we just talked about, very up and down so far this season. You know, they begin, what is it, an eight-game homestand before they go out on the road for four against Toronto. And then they've got Cleveland. I mean, I think the Red Sox schedule lines up very favorably for them to get back into the American League East race and and make it competitive again. Uh, Tampa Bay, they're still winning at a great clip. I think they're what still the major league leaders in run differential. I think that is a very big stat. I think that's something that right now you look at the teams that are the best in the major leagues, and it correlates almost evenly with that. The Yankees, they're another team that when they can get healthy, which 
who knows if they're ever going to be able to field their ideal lineup this year just because of the amount of injuries they've had. But if they can get guys like Aaron Judge back, if they can get Luis Severino back, you know, I, I think the Yankees are a team that could very well go on a run. I think when the Yankees are at full health, I don't know if there's a better team in baseball. It's not just their starting rotation, but that bullpen is also really good. Uh, you've got just depth throughout that lineup when everybody's healthy. I think that's why they've been able to stay so competitive is just the amount of depth they have offensively has kept them afloat. They're not just afloat. They're also, you know, they're 18 and 14. They're just two and a half games back of Tampa Bay, a team that I think a lot of people look at right now as, you know, one of the best in, in not just the American League, but one of the best in baseball. So I look at the Red Sox and Yankees as two teams that can, when if they can put it together here in this month of May and give themselves a fighting chance heading into June, July, and August when teams most definitely sort of uh, separate themselves from the rest and, and make those moves, make those trades that really, you know, set up their roster the rest of the way. I think those are two teams I look at right now and, and say they could really, really make some noise here in the American League. Very hard to disagree with that. And Curtis, I would like to close it up with this. I know that you're doing tremendous work out there in the fine city of Seattle with 710 ESPN, doing great work with Mariners post-game work and everything like that. Let the good people at home know where they can find you on social media and elsewhere. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at a kid from Kent. Always got to give love to the hometown. Same with Instagram at a kid from Kent. But yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Look forward to conversing in 280 characters or less. Ah, uh, yes. It used to be 140, now 280, and we're all the better for it. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle for joining me last segment as we're back here in the Azuna Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be noted up on my Twitter page at GUnit underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order as always, and we start with 951, 952 on the betting rotation. 
The San Francisco Giants are in Cincinnati, as we are on to Cincinnati, to face off against the Reds. Anthony DiScalfani toes the rubber for Cincinnati. The Padres send out their Drew Pomerantz. Total on this game is 8.5, with the under being minus 115, over minus 105. If you like the Giants, you're going to get anywhere between a plus 127 and plus 130 number. If you want to lay it here with the Reds, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 139 and minus 142. This has been just an absolutely crazy series. Both these teams came in with two of the bottom five offenses out there in the big leagues, and each of the last three games have went over, despite the fact that both these teams have great bullpens. I think that we're going to see a little bit of a regression to the mean, so this is one in which I am going to play under. Take a look at what Drew Pomerantz is providing for the Giants. He is just 1-3, but he's actually been pretty good so far this year. 408 ERA. 28 and two-thirds innings. He's given up five long balls, 12 walks. Nothing great, but nothing horrible. Di Scalfani, meanwhile, he has a 348 ERA in 31 innings. He's got 36 strikeouts, 12 walks. All in all, he's done a decent job. And with both these lineups, they're getting some production in some unexpected places. It's been Stephen Boyd the past couple days for the San Francisco Giants. And Stephen Duger has really picked up with the bat. He is now hitting 270. There was a time a couple days ago in which the San Francisco Giants did not have anyone hitting above 250 in the lineup. Joey Votto continues to struggle for the Cincinnati Reds. It's absolutely incredible as he's currently hitting 216. Eugenio Suarez, 222. And it's Jesse Winker who's doing a nice job of being able to provide a little bit of something in the middle of the lineup along with Dane Diedrich. Dane Diedrich hitting a little bit over 250. Jesse Winker, 243. Nine home runs, 15 RBI. And Diedrich has provided nine diggers of his own. Jose Iglesias hitting just below 300. But then you've got guys like Senzel, Jose Peraza and company that are all hitting below the Mendoza line for the San Francisco Giants. You still do have some badly struggling bats. Joe Panic hitting just above 200 along with Brandon Brelt. Brandon Crawford in that boat as well, along with Solarte. Pablo Sandoval has seen his average up to 250. Kevin Pillar is hitting 202. So it's not like they're necessarily lighting the world on fire, but Buster Posey was able to hit his second home run of the year on Sunday. Brandon Crawford came up clutch with his first of the year. You got to think that the Cincinnati Reds with Rossiel Iglesias now going 1-5 and five this season are going to look to guys more like Amir Garrett to close out games because he's got an ERA below 2. You've got a bunch of guys like Dylan Hernandez who have been good bridge guys. And for the San Francisco Giants, they still have a tremendous bullpen as well. But this is a spot where I do think that Pomerantz is going to be able to get the better of DeScalfani. And I do feel like the San Francisco Giants are really rounding in a form. I do think that guys like Evan Longoria and Buster Posey are going to be able to find it in this spot. So for that reason, I am taking a look at the Giants and I'm taking a look at the under. I've already locked in the San Francisco Giants at this plus price. Currently in wait and see mode on the under just because the under is currently juiced at minus 115, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of a favorable number there. We move on to 953, 954 on the betting rotation. The Washington Nationals are in Milwaukee to face off against the Brewers as it is Mad Max Scherzer going for the Washington Nationals and you least just seen for the Milwaukee Brewers. So in this game, 7.5 with the over minus 115, under is minus 105. This is absolutely stunning. If you want the Washington Nationals, you're going to be laying with Max Scherzer against Ulysses Justine anywhere between minus 112 and minus 118. The Brewers anywhere between even juice and plus 108 on their number. I know that Max Scherzer has gotten off to a rough start this year. I've been fading him myself. He's 1-4 with a 408 ERA, but... He is much better than Ulysses just seen. 
Now, I know that the Washington Nationals lineup is banged up. I know that the bullpen stinks, but this is a spot where I've already taken it and I've already locked in on the Washington Nationals. There's just not really much value to fading this ace at this point because let's take a look at Ulysse Jacin. 3-3 three and three so far this year. 524 ERA, 34 and a third innings. He's given up seven home runs. Meanwhile, Max Scherzer, in 46 and a third innings, he's given up four home runs. A lot of what Max Scherzer has done this year has not been his fault. The fielding has not been there for him. You got to think that at some point he's going to get things dialed in. And plus, he has 62 punch outs in 46 and a third innings. The fielders can't screw it up when he just punches everyone out. Ulysses has seen 26 strikeouts so far this year. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, Josh Hader wound up getting used yesterday, so he's probably not going to be available for this game. For the Washington Nationals, I noted it before. Their lineup is banged up. Anthony Rendon, currently on the 10-day injured list. Matt Adams, Juan Soto, Ryan Zimmerman, all the lineup. Michael A. Taylor has not been in the lineup for a while as well. He's currently day-to-day. But with the Nationals, you still do have Adam Eaton in the lineup. He's hitting nearly 290 at the top of the lineup. Victor Robles has been doing an okay job of getting on base. Wilmer Defoe leaves something to be desired, but Kurt Suzuki hitting nearly 300. Brian Dozier still below the Mendoza line, along with guys like Kai Boom and Nolan Company. So I certainly do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower-scoring game. The Brewers getting back Christian Yelich yesterday was huge. He wound up hitting a dinger his 15th of the year. He has 36 RBI, hitting 346. But let's take a look at some of the struggling bats for the Brewers. Ryan Braun has really emerged. He's now hitting above 250 with seven home runs. He really got out of his shell last week. But there are still a bunch of other guys that are not living up to their billing. Orlando Arcia hitting 224. Manny Pina, 143. Travis Shaw, 172. Jesus Aguiar, despite the home runs that he hit against the Rockies, 160. Ben Gamble and Lorenzo Kane are both doing a good job of being able to provide for this team, but the Milwaukee Brewers also spent a lot of their bullpen on Saturday in that long extra running game against the New York Mets as well. You gotta think that there's gonna be some lingering effects from there, and the Nationals bullpen, while it absolutely sucks actually has been a little bit better. you got to think that Kyle Bearclaw and Sean Doolittle are going to be available for this game. So for that reason, I am on the Washington Nationals and I've already locked it in. I've already locked in the under as well. I think that we're going to see a very low-scoring game. 9.55, 9.56 on the bag rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies are in St. Louis face-off against the Cardinals. Miles Mikolas goes for the Cardinals. Vince Velasquez goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Total in this game is 8.5, and, and this over is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125, under between even juice and plus 105. If you like the Philadelphia Phillies, you're going to be getting a price anywhere between plus 113 and plus 120. Want to lay it here with the St. Louis Cardinals anywhere between minus 128 and minus 130. This is a spot where I do take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. Mikolas just has not been the same pitcher that he was last year. I know that Vince Velasquez in his last start had probably his worst outing of the year, but all in all, I actually like what I've seen from him so far this year. With Velasquez, he's 1-1, 273 ERA, 1-2-2 whip, 26 and two-thirds innings. He's given up four home runs and has 29 strikeouts. Meanwhile, for Mikolas, he's done a good job of not walking, guys. 40 innings, 40 innings pitch. He's given out nine free passes, but he's also given up eight home runs, and he has just 23 strikeouts, so he really lends himself to hard contact. With the Philadelphia Phillies, 
Reese Hoskins has been doing a great job for this team all around, hitting 291, 10 home runs, 31 RBI. They now have Gene Segura back after he spent a little bit of time on the injured list. He has been hitting above 300 for this team. He's really been a bit of a constant for them. Hitting 340. Bryce Harper obviously struggling at 233, but you gotta think at some point he's gonna get things going. Odubo Herrera is now back in the lineup. He's a 250 hitter with some pop. And Cesar Hernandez and Mikel Franco at the bottom of the lineup have been doing a nice job for this team as well, along with JT Riamuto at the catcher spot. Meanwhile, with the St. Louis Cardinals, Marcelo Zuna has really been getting the job done with the bat. Entering into their Sunday night game, he had an average of 261, 10 home run, 29 RBI. Paul DeYoung hitting above 300. Getting Dexter Fowler back obviously helps out this team as well as Dexter Fowler before he went on the injured list was hitting above 300. Got to think it might take a couple days for him to reacclimate himself, but that's huge. Paul Goldschmidt is going to hit better than 250 when it's all said and done. Jose Martinez has been hot hitting 360. And then with the St. Louis Cardinals, the bullpen's been pretty good. The Philadelphia Phillies do have some question marks with their bullpen as well, but Hector Neris seems to be really doing a good job of holding down the fort. Sir Anthony Dominguez has not necessarily been doing the job, but in their series against the Nationals, we did notice that the bullpen was performing quite well. Obviously not having... Scott Kingery hurts the Philadelphia Phillies a little bit, but I do think that Velasquez certainly going to be able to deliver a better pitching showing than Miles Mikolas in this one. I'm currently Wayne Seamode on the under, but I've already locked in the plus price on the Philadelphia Phillies. 9.57, 9.58 on the bank rotation. The Miami Marlins head to Chicago to face off against the Cubs. Cole Hamels goes for the Cubs. Sandy Alcantara for the Miami Marlins. This total is off the board since it is a Wrigley Field game, but if you like the Miami Marlins, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 210 and plus 215 if you want to lay it here with the Cubs. Anywhere between minus 240 and minus 250. This is just too much delay with the Chicago Cubs. Now, the Miami Marlins are currently the worst team in baseball. Their offense has not been getting going for the life of them. But Sandy Alcantara is actually not a terrible pitcher. His 1-3 record is not indicative of how he's done this year. 33 and a third innings, he's actually limited the hard contact. Three home runs so far this year. Meanwhile, Cole Hamels in two and one-thirds innings more has given up one additional home run, offering up a couple fewer walks, 12 walks in his 36 and two-thirds innings. Alcantara, 15 in his 33 and a third. But all in all, I do think that Sandy Alcantara is going to be able to deliver a quality start here for the Miami Marlins. And keep in mind, the Chicago Cubs might be a little bit more tired than the Miami Marlins just because they did have to play that Sunday night game. Now, granted, the Marlins obviously have to travel for this one, but we are noticing that the Marlins are getting a little bit of average as well with regards to their hitting. Jose Alfaro hitting 287 this year, 5 home run, 9 RBI. Curtis Granderson is just atrocious. He's hitting a buck 76, but Miguel Rojas has been hitting right around 272. Martin Prado just below 300 himself. So you are getting some Miami Marlins bats. They're starting to come on. Neil Walker's now hitting 250 as well. So you have some guys delivering a little bit of something for this team. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, you've got some bats that are hot and some bats that are cold. Javi Baez is really the concept for this team. Entering into that Sunday night game, he was hitting 318, 11 home runs, 26 RBI. He really has been a heart and soul guy for the Chicago Cubs team. Wilson Contreras hitting right in the neighborhood of 300 so far this year. Anthony Rizzo got off to a really slow start, but the home runs that he's been able to hit in recent days, you got to think are going to be able to get him going as he's now hitting just below 250. Chris Bryant hitting more around 230 and Ben Zobras 220. Obviously a woe, but getting Jason Hayward hitting above 300 is obviously nice. David Bodie has been doing a good job towards the bottom of the lineup as well, so I do think that the Cubs are going to be able to score a couple runs in this game, but we do know that with the Chicago Cubs as well, 
their bullpen pitching a little bit hit or miss. You can trust guys like Brandon Kinsler, and I do feel like Brad Brock has really come on as a guy that you could trust, but with the Miami Marlins, you actually do have a couple decent bullpen arms. I know that they really failed them in that series against the Atlanta Braves. Carrero going out the bullpen was awful, and we all know about Sergio Romo at this point and how many games he's blown, but I do think that the value here is with the Miami Marlins. I'm going to be on the Marlins just currently in Wayne C mode as of the price. Currently, I just have nothing on the total. I will be 100% honest with you. It all depends on where it opens up at. If this total is something like eight and the wind is blowing in, I might look at it under, but if the total is eight and the wind is blowing way out, I might take it over. So it all depends on the conditions with the total. My apologies on not being able to give you much there, but going to be riding with the Miami Marlins. 9.59, 9.60 on the bang rotation. The Atlanta Braves are in Los Angeles to face off against the Dodgers. Walker Buehler goes for the LA Dodgers. The Atlanta Braves originally had Max Freed, but before coming on to do this podcast, they did switch it to Kevin Gosman. And that means that this game is totally off the board. When I saw it last, the Braves were about a 135 underdog. The Dodgers were laying 145. The total on the game was 7.5. And and I was ready to lock in the over because Walker Buehler just has not been very good for the LA Dodgers so far this year. He has seen a massive fall off. And we've noticed with Kevin Gosman, he's not the pitcher that he was towards the end of last year with the Atlanta Braves as well. We know that he certainly had his issues when he was with the Baltimore Orioles. Felt like he got a little bit of a career rebirth when he when he joined the Atlanta Braves, but this year he just hasn't been himself. You take a look at Walker Beeler. He's 3-0 this year. 5-2-2 ERA though. 29 in the third innings, which means he's not necessarily going deep into games. He's only given up two home runs, but he's also issued nine walks. The whip is a 1-1-9. That's not necessarily great. And then let's take a look at Kevin Gosman, who... Has some pretty comparable stats. He's given up more home runs, 31 and two-thirds innings. He's given up five dingers, 11 walks in those innings. He does do a better job of being able to get punch-outs. He's got 34 strikeouts, whip of a 107. So he's done a good job of not letting himself to hard contact. And you got to think that the LA Dodgers, their bullpen is a little bit gassed after not being able to pull out that game yesterday against the San Diego Padres. They did not get a good start out of Kenta Maeda. You wind up watching Kenley Jansen give up a grand slam, giving up four runs in two tenths of an inning as his ERA is now 467. They won't have the services of Pedro Baez, who's one of their best relievers. So that's obviously an issue. And it feels like in regards to the lineup for the Dodgers, feels like everyone other than really Alex Verdugo and Cody Bellinger have taken a little bit of a step down. Bellinger, 14 home runs, over 35 RBI, hitting 412 this year. He's been terrific. And Alex Verdugo, hitting 329 this season, has been terrific. But Chris Taylor barely hitting above the Mendoza line at this point. Corey Seager, 232. Justin Turner has just one home run to this point. David Fries has been able to pick it up with a 234 average, but Jock Peterson hitting 245. Max Muncy hitting below 250 himself. Austin Barnes and Gale at the catcher spot. Neither of these guys are getting the job done, and Kike Hernandez has seen his average tip below 250 as well. Meanwhile, with the Atlanta Braves, Ozzie Albies was able to hit a nice grand slam over the weekend against the Miami Marlins. He's hitting 281, seven home runs, 18 RBI. Dansby Swanson has 25 RBI of his zone. Nick Markakis has been great in the middle of the lineup with regards to his average at 333. Ronald Acuna Jr. seems to be slumping a little bit, but he's still hitting more in the realm of 265, 270-ish. Freddie Freeman hitting just below 300 along with Tyler Flowers. So I do feel like there's a little bit more consistency with the Atlanta Braves bats. If the number comes out similar, I'm probably going to be taking a look at the Atlanta Braves. I'm probably going to be taking a look at the over as well, but currently in Wayne C mode with that because this game, as I know, 
noted, currently off the board. And it is important to note that Cody Bellinger, day-to-day since he was in a pinch-hitting spot as well yesterday and did not start the game. 961-962 on the bang rotation. The New York Mets are in San Diego to face off against the Padres. Chris Paddock goes for the Padres. Jacob deGrom for the Mets. The total on this game, 6.5, and and it is shaded over. Over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the Mets, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 109 and minus 115. Meanwhile, if you want to take a shot here on the San Diego Padres, you're going to be getting anywhere between minus 103 and plus 105. Chris Paddock has been absolutely terrific this year, and Jacob DeGrom looked much better in his last start. He went seven scoreless innings against the Cincinnati Reds, and Chris Paddock really proving himself to be an ace. He had that one-hit, seven-inning bid against the Seattle Mariners about a week and a half ago, and for the year, he's 2-1, and one, 191 ERA, 0.70 whip. As in 33 innings, he's given up just 14 hits. DeGrom, meanwhile, he has a 3.82 ERA, 2-3 record. And we've noticed with the New York Mets, the bats have been slowing down a little bit in their series against the Milwaukee Brewers. They just were unable to get anything going as in a grand total of 36 innings because they played that 18-inning game. They mustered a grand total of six runs. That's not necessarily a redeeming quality there. They have not broken the three-run plateau ever since the month of May, but you got to feel like this might be a spot where they can break out. Pete Alonso still doing a nice job for this team, hitting 280, 10 home runs, 27 RBI. Jeff McNeil hitting nearly 350. Robinson Cano has been up and down so far this year, but he's still doing a pretty good job of being able to get on base. His batting average more in the neighborhood of... 250, and it's important to note that in the lineup yesterday, they had Adini Hechevarria. He's hitting nearly 300 for the squad. A little bit of a good ad there. Amid Rosario hitting in the neighborhood of 280. Todd Frazier has just stopped himself ever since we're coming back off the injured list. He's hitting below 150. Keon Brock's at hitting 156. So, obviously, those are some bad signs. But all in all, I do think that they're going to be able to get it to a San Diego Padres team that has had to use their bullpen quite a bit in the past couple days. And with the San Diego Padres, their bats are starting to come on as well. Famio Reyes hitting 252, 9 home runs, 16 RBI. Hunter Renfro not getting it done with the average. He's hitting below 230, but you got to think that that grand slam that he hit to win the game against the Dodgers yesterday is going to be able to get him going. Fernando Tatis Jr. has been injured, but when he's been in the lineup, he's hitting 300. Manny Machado was able to hit a home run against the Dodgers on Saturday. He's hitting below 250, but you got to think that that might be something that gets him going. And then with catcher spot in general with the San Diego Padres, it's just absolutely awful. No matter if they put Mejia back there, or if they have hedges behind the dish, neither of these guys are getting it going, and Ian Kinsler for the year only hitting a buck 73, but he was able to hit three home runs in two days towards the end of last week, Will Myers not picking it up with the bat himself, so for that reason, I do have to take a look at the New York Mets, I think that Jacob deGrom is going to be able to stifle the San Diego Padres, I think the Mets bats actually do get going, I think that Chris Paddock is in in for a little bit of regression, so I've already locked in the over, and I've already locked in the New York Mets on this spot, so we're all good to go there as we move on to 963, 964 on the bang rotation. The Cleveland Indians are going to be playing O.C. Chicago White Sox. Yvonne Supernova ERA goes for the White Sox. Trevor Bauer on the bump for the Indians. The total on this game is 8.5 with the over anywhere between even juice and minus 105. The under between minus 115 and minus 120. If you like the Indians, across the board you're laying minus 240. If you like the Chicago White Sox, across the board plus 210. The way that the White Sox just had two innings over the last two days where they gave up a gob ton of runs to the Boston Red Sox 
has to be very discouraging. And let's face it, Ivan Nova has been complete and utter hot garbage this year. 0-3 record, 31 in the third innings. He's got 23 strikeouts, giving up 6 long balls and 48 hits. That right there is a 179 whip, kids. The eight walks aren't necessarily terrible, but uh, everything else is. Meanwhile, for Trevor Bauer, he does have a walks issue. 47 and two-thirds innings, he's given out 23 free passes, but bad that, he's been terrific. Given up four home runs, whip of a 105. He's 4-1 and one with a 245 ERA. Bauer is one of the few aces that I've really been able to rely upon so far this year. And the White Sox, they actually do have some decent bats. Jose Abreu really coming on as of late, 291 average, eight home runs, 33 RBI. Tim Anderson hitting 333 himself. We all know about his power. Yoan Mancata has six home runs. He's hitting nearly 300 as well. Lurie Garcia at the top of the lineup has done a nice job of being able to get on base with a 287 average. And then you've got the other guys. Yonder Alonso hitting a buck 73. Nikki Delmonico, 231. I know that Ryan Cordell was able to hit a home run his third of the year yesterday, but he's hitting 226. Daniel Polka has just essentially been ixnade entirely from the lineup as he had one hit in like his first 30 at bats or something like that. He stinks. And Wellington Castillo also hitting below the Mendoza line. With the Cleveland Indians, they haven't necessarily been raking with the bats, but Carlos Santana, as was mentioned by our man Curtis Rogers a little bit earlier, has been the concept for this team. Hitting five home run, 19 RBI, a little bit over 300. You got to think at some point some of these bats are going to be able to get going. Francisco Lindor was able to hit a couple home runs earlier in the series against the Seattle Mariners, but he's only hitting 229. You got to think that that's going to go up. Jason Kipnis is not going to continue to buck 72. Jose Ramirez is not going to end the year hitting 200, along with Carlos Gonzalez. The whole catcher spot is right now a joke for the Cleveland Indians as both their catchers hitting below 225. And Jake Bowers and Luplo are both hitting right around 240 in the outfield as well. You got to think at some point the Indians bats are going to be able to get going. And what better team to be able to do so? And what better pitcher to be able to do so against rather than Ivan Nova? This is a spot where I take a look at the Indians on the run line. Currently seeing a run line price of minus 125. Would love to be able to get the juice down on that a little bit more. So currently in wait and see mode there. But I do think that this is where the Indians bats bust out. I have already locked in the over at 8.5. 965, 966 on the bang rotation. The Seattle Mariners are in New York to face off against the Yankees. CC Sabathia on the bump for the Yanks. Felix Hernandez goes for the Seattle Mariners in a pitching matchup that in 2011 would have been very, very hot. Total in this game, 9.5 with the under between minus 115 and minus 120. Over between even juice and minus 105. If you like the Seattle Mariners, you're going to be getting a plus price of anywhere between plus 140 and plus 150. You want to lay it here with the Yankees anywhere between minus 160 and minus 152. CC Sabathia, it seems like he's getting a little bit more over the hill than Felix Hernandez. And Felix Hernandez, I know that he's really been getting bumped for no longer being the Cy Young candidate that he was a couple years ago, but he's actually not been bad this year. 1 and 2 record. 431 ERA. He's issued just four walks and 31 and a third innings. His command is still there. CC Sabathia on the other end, six walks and 20 and a third innings. His whip is a 103 CC says, 266 ERA, so he's actually been doing well this year. Aside from our contact, four home runs given up by CC Sabathia. Felix Hernandez in 10 more innings has given up just one additional dinger. And one thing that we know about the Seattle Mariners, they are able to pound the long ball. 68 home runs so far in 36 games. Meanwhile, the Yankees not bad themselves in that respect. 
50 home runs in 32 games. But what we do know with the Yankees is that they are all sorts of banged up. You still have guys like Clint Frazier and D.D. Gregorius and company that are on the injured list. Obviously, Giancarlo Stanton. Gary Sanchez has been great for this team, despite being injured throughout the year. 271 average, 11 home runs, 21 RBI. Getting back, Miguel Anduar is nice. DJ LeMahieu hitting 317 is terrific. Luke Voigt has been able to supply some power as well. But then you take a look on the other side for the Seattle Mariners. Not necessarily hitting for average. Omar Navarez has done a great job in that respect, hitting 299. He also is able to provide some power. You've got to like the way that T. Gordon has been able to get on base, but you've just got a bunch of mashers. You just take a look up and down the lineup. Daniel Vogelbach has been hitting it well. He has 8 or 9 home runs this year. Edwin Encarnacion with 10. Jay Bruce, 11 dingers. Mitch Haniger, 8 dingers. Tim Beckham, absolute liability with a glove, but he's been hitting 282 with a bunch of dingers himself. So you take a look at this matchup. I do think that there is some value here with the Seattle Mariners. Currently Wayne C mode because I'm noticing that a little bit of steam is coming in on the... New York Yankees, but I do notice that the Mariners hit a lot of solo home runs, and I think that's going to hold itself to be true in this one, as I think the Mariners are going to be able to get it done with a couple solo shots, and I think that Felix Hernandez delivers a good start. So, in wait and see mode on the Mariners, in wait and see mode on the under, trying to get more of a minus 110 juice on that under 9.5, but those are going to be the plays there. 967, 968 on the bang rotation. The Boston Red Sox head to Baltimore to face off against the Orioles. You've got Jonathan Means on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. This was not announced until a couple minutes ago, but Josh Smith, no, not the former NBA forward, goes for the Boston Red Sox. Since the Red Sox did not announce their starting pitcher until just during the evening, this game is currently off the board. I can tell you right now, though, if this total is around like 9-ish, I'm certainly going to be looking at it over. The Boston Red Sox have finally found it with the bats as they just exploded for two double-digit numbers on Saturday and Sunday against the Chicago White Sox. I will say that Jonathan Means actually a decent pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. If there's one starter that you're going to trust with the Baltimore Orioles, it is Jonathan Means, but he's a guy that did get a little bit blown up during his last start, and the reason why he is starting today is because he was supposed to start on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Rays. He wound up having that start push back, but all in all for the year, he actually has been pretty decent. 3-3 Three and three record, 281 ERA, 117 whip. In 25 and two-thirds innings, he doesn't necessarily go deep in his starts. He's given up four long balls and seven walks. Actually, some pretty good numbers. Meanwhile, Josh Smith, like I said, not the former NBA player. He has a career war that is negative .2. He last pitched in the major leagues in 2017 for the Oakland A's. He actually was a reliever at that time for the A's. He had a 489 ERA that season in 26 appearances. He wound up going 35 innings. So he's been a career long reliever, I guess you could say. And in his career, he's made nine starts, 68 total appearances. He has a career ERA of a 526. This is a gentleman that does not necessarily do a great job in regards to not allowing walks as for his career. 4.3 walks per nine innings, 7.3 strikeouts per nine. He doesn't have good swing and miss stuff. A 1.54 career whip. Yeah, this isn't good. This might be a spot where if you see the Boston Red Sox 
as a massive favorite, you might need to take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. If this is something where the Boston Red Sox are a slight favorite, I'm going to ride with them just because I do like the way that the Boston Red Sox are hitting right now. Like I said before, they were really able to pick it up in that series against the Chicago White Sox. Mitch Moreland has nine home runs, 21 RBI, not getting it done with the average, but getting it done with the power. Xander Bogarts now has 23 RBI. He has been doing a terrific job of being able to drive him in. He's providing some power as well. He obviously hit that grand slam yesterday that was absolutely huge for this team. Jackie Bradley Jr. has been a liability for this team along with the catcher spot in the lineup. Although I will say that Christian Vasquez now hitting 253, a nice showing for them. And Jackie Bradley Jr., buck 55, obviously not getting the job done. Steven Pierce, you just can forget about his bet. He's hitting 118, but Andrew Benatendi just below 300. Rafael Devers hitting above 300. You've got Mookie Betts, who has his average right around 300. And Michael Chavis is now hitting 333. He has been a nice find for this team. Meanwhile, for the Orioles, their bats have been going a little bit cold recently, but they do have some guys that can hit. Trey Boom Momancini hitting 336 this year. Dwight Smith Jr., six home runs, 22 RBI, hitting 298. Renato Nunez, six home runs, 18 RBI. We all know about the struggles of one Chris Davis. He's still hitting below the Mendoza line, but you do have some guys like Rio Ruiz are doing a good job of being able to get on base. Jonathan VR hitting nearly 270 as well. So this is a spot where I'm certainly going to be Looking at the over as long as that, as long as it's not a harebrained total, but in wait and see mode because if I'm getting a nice price, if I'm getting a nice price with the Baltimore Orioles, I might just go ahead and take it because I hate myself. 969, 970 on the bank rotation. The Minnesota Twins are in Toronto to face off against the Blue Jays. Marcus Stroman toes the rubber for the Toronto Blue Jays. Meanwhile, on the other end, it is Martin Perez. The total on this game is 8.5 with the over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the Blue Jays, could be laying anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you want to take a shot here on the Minnesota Twins, anywhere between even juice and plus 105. Minnesota Twins have been one of the biggest surprises so far this year. And Martin Perez himself has been a very big surprise. His ERA is right around a 3-3-3. He has been 4-0 this year. Really unexpected. The last time his ERA was below 4-5, I think was when he was back with Texas in the mid 2010s So he's been really having a career rebirth. The 14 walks in 34 and a third inning, a little bit of a woe, but he's only given up two long balls this year. Marcus Stroman's been even better, though. 16 walks in 41 innings. He's got 39 punchouts, and he's allowed zero home runs, but despite that, he has a 1-4 record with a 2-20 ERA, a 1-2 whip. He has been a tough luck loser. I think he's going to be able to do a good job against a Minnesota Twins lineup that, let's face it, has been terrific this year. Eddie Rosario hitting 222, 11 home runs, 25 RBI. Jorge Polanco hitting above 300. Jonathan Scope after just having a Really bad stint in Milwaukee when he was playing over there. Has begun to find it. He's hitting more in the neighborhood of 270. Now you have CJ Crone and Marwin Gonzalez who are both struggling with the bat. Crone hitting more around 225. Gonzalez below the Mendoza line. And also hitting below the Mendoza line is Adhir Adrianza. But Max Kepler at the top lineup hitting 250 with some power. Nelson Cruz hitting 290 himself. So you got to like that. And then you take a look at the other end for the Toronto Blue Jays. Fly Guerrero Jr. has not lived up to his billing. He's hitting below the Mendoza line. Justin Spoke hitting 252 with five home runs, 19 RBI. Freddie Galvis has come back to earth with his 277 average. You got to like the fact that Rowdy Telez and Brandon Drury are starting to pick it up in regards to power, but neither of these guys are necessarily hitting for a great average. Drury more in the neighborhood of 230. Telez 
258. And the Toronto Blue Jays in general just weren't able to get things going in their series against the Texas Rangers. So I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game, but I have a little bit more faith here in the Toronto Blue Jays who have a top five bullpen as compared to the Minnesota Twins whose bullpen ERA is 0.7 higher than the Toronto Blue Jays, and I think that Strowman going to be able to deliver a good start once again. I'm currently waiting to see mode as to what price I'm going to be able to get on the Toronto Blue Jays. I think this is a situation where we might see the Blue Jays go from being the favorite to the underdog because the Minnesota Twins have been playing so well, but I am all about the under and ever I locked in under 8.5. We've got the Kansas City Royals facing off against the Houston Astros in the state of Texas, as this is 971-972 on the bang rotation. Jacob Junis goes for the Kansas City Royals for the Houston Astros. Garrett Cole, total in this game is 7.5 with the over between minus 110 and minus 115, under between minus 110 and minus 105. If you like the Kansas City Royals, well, you're going to be getting a big plus price anywhere between plus 225 and plus 240. Want to lay it here with the Astros. That is anywhere between minus 270 and minus 280. Is it just me or do I think that the Houston Astros might be a little bit affected by going from Monterey, Mexico to Houston? I know that with the way that the location is, it's not necessarily the longest flight or anything like that, but still you are crossing a country border. So I think that that could lead a little bit into the Royals being able to stay in this one. And Jacob Junis has actually knocked off the Tampa Bay Rays twice in the last two weeks. He's looked a little bit better. The 5-1-2 ERA is not necessarily great, but he's only allowed five home runs in 38 and two-thirds innings. He's got 34 punch-outs. He's limited the walks with 12. Garrett Cole in 43 and a third innings. He is a punch-out machine. 65 strikeouts. He has a 1-0-4 whip, but a 3-9-5 ERA and a 2-4 and record. And with the Kansas City Royals, they've got a couple guys that are actually doing a good job of being able to hit for this team. Jorge Soler is starting to find it. He now has a 254 average, eight home runs, 23 RBI. Hunter Dozier has been providing the power as well. 343, seven home runs this year. Adalberto Mondesi has been driving guys in. He's only got four home runs, but he's got 30 RBI. He's hitting right around 285, and the top of the lineup for the Kansas City Royals has been pretty darn good. Whit Merrifield hitting 285. Alex Gordon, 287. He provides some pop with five home runs himself. And then you take a look at Kelvin Gutierrez. He's come in, and he's hit 230. He's at 333, and whenever Terrence Gore gets a pinch-hitting opportunity, he gets on as well. Now we know that Martin Maldonado, Billy Hamilton, and Gallagher, along with Ryan O'Hearn, all these guys hitting below 210 with three of them hitting below the Mendoza line, so you've got some feast or famine bets there. But speaking of feast or famine, the Astros have actually been playing a lot of under so far this year. They were really able to find it in their last two games against the LA Angels, but this is a team that is very much all or nothing with the bat. You got to like the way that George Springer has been hitting for this team. He's got nine home runs on the year. He's hitting 280. Jake Marizic has a 271 average. Jose Altuve has seen his average only at 250, but he's been able to supply the long balls himself. Michael Brantley has seven home runs. He's hitting 336. Has been terrific. Alex Bregman has nine home runs on the year himself. He's been doing a good job. But then you take a look at Carlos Correa and Josh Reddick. They're the guys that are really getting it done. 291 average for Correa with seven home runs. And then Reddick hitting 333. But you do have some questions at the catcher spot. The DHs with Kemp and Tyler White haven't necessarily been getting the job done. And like I said, with the Houston Astros, they give you either a whole bunch of offense or they give you none whatsoever. I have already locked in this total over because I do think the Kansas City Royals are going to get to Garrett Cole. And I do think that Jacob Judas is really starting to pitch well. 
Call me crazy, but I'm going to take the plus price here with the Royals. I think that there's going to be more money coming in on the Astros. So currently in wait and see mode on this plus price, but I'm going to be on the Royals and I am going to be on this total over with the overall rate locked in. And we wrap things up with 973, 974 on the bang rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks pay a visit to the Tampa Bay Rays. This game is currently off the board, but I can tell you right now, we do now have a pitching matchup. It is going to be Merrill Kelly going for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, it is Blake Snell. I'm seeing one number offshore. The total is 7.5 with the under at minus 130 and the over plus 110. If you like the Rays, they're minus 194. And if you want the Arizona Diamondbacks, are plus 181. If this is anywhere near the number that we're getting, sign me up for the Arizona Diamondbacks and sign me up for the over at plus 110. The Arizona Diamondbacks have been doing an absolutely terrific job of ripping the cover off the ball. Now they've suffered that heartbreaking eighth inning in which they gave up five runs to the Colorado Rockies, the gas can that came. But Merrill Kelly for the year has been pretty decent. 360 ERA has a little bit of an issue with the walks. We saw that when he had that start in Chicago when he couldn't get out of the fourth inning against the Cubs. Has given up six long balls this year, but all in all, 137 whip, 360 ERA has given up 34 hits in 35 innings, and Blake Snell lost his last two starts to the Kansas City Royals. He has not been himself. 431 ERA, 31 in a third innings pitch. He's given up six home runs. That's just not necessarily great. The 41 punch-outs, obviously terrific, but with the Arizona Diamondbacks, they've got a good lineup. One of the best out there in the big leagues, Christian Walker hitting 314. He's been supplying some power along with Cattell Marte. Cattell Marte, nine home runs, 26 RBI, hitting nearly 270. He's been terrific. Eduardo Escobar really coming on with the bat right now. He is hitting just above 300 along with Gerard Dyson, David Peralta hitting 312 himself. Now you've got Blake Swayard and Vargas who are both struggling with the bat. Nick Ahmad, the typical starter out there in the infield hitting 260. He got the day off yesterday. And John Ryan Murphy seems to be coming back down to earth as well. But I do like the way that they're performing. The Tampa Bay Rays got rained out yesterday against the Orioles. So you got to think that the bullpen is going to be very fresh. I do like what they're showing themselves with regards to the bat because Brandon Lowe is hitting 309. Yandy Diaz has seen his average dip, but he saw his seven home runs for the year, hitting 257. G-Man Choi hitting more in the realm of 270. He's able to provide some power for this team as well. Nathaniel Lowe, ever since becoming more of a regular in the lineup, has been able to do a decent job of getting on base. And Tommy Pham hitting just below 300 as well. So all in all, if we're getting anywhere between a 7.5 total and a big plus price with the Arizona Diamondbacks, we'll be taking the Diamondbacks and the over. We have to see what numbers we're officially going to get tomorrow, though. So check back on my Twitter page at square 81 for that. And always, if you have a Twitter question for this fine podcast, feel free to tweet it in to that Twitter feed at GUnitArscore81, as this has been another terrific edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to my man Curtis Rogers out there with 710 ESPN for joining me in the second segment. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. As a reminder, if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. And let's make today a great one. Thank you so much for tuning in.